This is Noah Kadner, and you're listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Sam Nicholson ASC is a legendary visual effects supervisor, cinematographer, and virtual production pioneer. As founder of visual effects company Stargate Studios, he's worked on everything from Star Trek to 24 to The Walking Dead and has witnessed many revolutions in the world of content creation. But as with many of our guests, Nicholson's initiation into filmmaking was unusual to say the least and began in the late 1970s while he was in college in Los Angeles. So I was in graduate school at UCLA doing a master's in abstract visual design and kinetic lighting. And I was going to become a a light sculptor. While I'm doing this, blowing glass and uh, working with light, abstract light, one of my professors said, well, you know, they're having this problem out at Paramount. Nicholson drove over to Paramount Studios and discovered the problem in question was on the set of Star Trek The Motion Picture. It has to do with the engine of the Enterprise. They can't figure it out. They built a whole set, and they've got a 60-foot-high plexiglass tube sitting in the middle of the set with nothing to go in it. After a couple of failed attempts, figured it out and got the contract to do the engine of the Enterprise. But it had to be real-time, in-camera, on set. It was quite an experience. It was like immersion by fire into the film business. I'd never even been on a soundstage before. I had no idea how they made movies. Nicholson quickly got introduced to celebrated director Robert Wise. I'll tell you one thing. He was probably the most expeditious, one of the most efficient directors ever. I didn't know who Bob Wise was. I mean, I'd seen Sound of Music and West Side Story, but I didn't really connect it that this is one of the biggest directors in the business. We met in a front office at Paramount, and they said, yeah, we'll give you a shot at this thing. So they gave me $5,000 or something, which I thought was like the world, you know. And I went in my garage in Venice and started messing around with slide projectors. And I made a little model that was about four feet high. And I kept testing it in my garage with all the lights out. And it looked okay if you turned all the lights out. So the day of the presentation comes and they said, well, instead of the office, we're going to meet on stage nine. And I'd never been on a soundstage. So I take my little model and I go to stage nine and they're in the middle of building the enterprise. So there's saws and lights and grips and construction crew madly trying to get ready for the series. So I bring my little model and I put it out and I said, it's pretty bright in here. Can we turn out the lights on the soundstage? And they were like, what are you kidding? You know, we're working. And it suddenly became apparent to me that, well, how are you going to film it if you have all the lights off? I'm sitting there trying to figure out what to do. And in comes the entourage. Bob Weiss is leading the pack of Gene Roddenberry, all the studio executives like Jeffrey Katzenberg and everybody who was then a PA. Forty people walk on to see this big test for the engine of the Enterprise. And Bob comes up and I pull the black thing off and they said show it to us right it's just, it got this little four foot model I turn the thing on and you can't even see it it's not there because it's I've been testing it with no ambient light you know it was like such a swing and a miss they said well obviously you don't get it 
Nicholson could have given up entirely after his first attempt didn't cut the mustard and gone back to his classes, but he was determined to prove he could solve the problem of the Enterprise's engine room. I went back and begged the associate producer, John Polville, to give me another shot, give me another try. So he said, well, you know, if you're willing to pay for it, fine. So I put like everything that I owned into making a eight-foot section of the engine, swung it out into the middle of the set, put so much light in it that people had to put on sunglasses. And it worked. I, I came back and got a second bite at the apple, and, and I got the contract. That led to being a set dog for six months. Nicholson's intense on-set lighting creation became the iconic look of the newly refitted Enterprise engine room. The only starship in interception range is the Enterprise. Ready or not, she launches in 12 hours. His first filmmaking experience would serve him well many years later in virtual production as in-camera visual effects came into the forefront. But first, Nicholson received a second assignment on the set of Star Trek. They were having real problems with the visual effects with Bob Abel's, so Bob Weiss took me in and said, can you do the end of the movie? And I said, yeah, I'll give it a try. They said, well, it's got to be in camera. So we did. They gave me an unlimited budget. I didn't understand anything about wattage or amperage or anything. So I just started ordering lights. And they said, we want this big lighting spec. And I said, okay. <laughs> I just ordered a boatload of light. I went to Optical Radiation Corporation that made the xenon lights for the helicopters and said, I want every one of them you make. So we brought them all on set, and we had so much light on the V'ger set that everybody got sunburned, really sunburned. We didn't understand anything about UV lighting or any of that kind of stuff. So it was, at that time, the largest lighting spectacle that Paramount had ever done. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, it was to this day, it, it holds up. V-G. Feature. Richard Klein was the DP. He did a brilliant job of shooting it and doing some theatrical tricks like stretching a hundred foot scrim all the way across the stage, black scrim, so that you couldn't see it. And then as Shatner and Nimoy and all the guys are running away from the V'ger about to explode, you bring up a ton of light on the scrim and the set disappears. It was an amazing first project immersion into the film business, and it, I said, well, if this is a great way to make a living, I can do this. Nicholson quickly established himself as a master not only of creating consistently high-quality visual effects, but also being able to do so on tight deadlines and within budget. These skills served him well as he worked on visual effects for episodic television series. We did Max Headroom. And I'll, I'll, I'll be back in a few moments with more from Network 23. It was a weekly series, and they wanted to be in this dystopian world every week. And it was a television series. They didn't have the money to do that every week. So we built a very large-scale miniature about 100 feet across. I had a soundstage at my studio that was about 100 by 100. And we covered the entire floor with the city. And then we built a motion control gantry crane over the top of it. So the camera hung down from the ceiling and we could go anywhere with a snorkel lens on this 100 by 100 foot miniature. And we put, at that point, laser discs uh, 
on little tiny screens and we would basically access them one frame at a time and we'd smoke it up and then do motion control moves every week. They'd say, well, this time we want to be down at street level and we want to zoom up to the Network 23 logo and spin around like a helicopter or whatever. And we'd shoot that that week, right? Network 23 to Edison Carter. The link is strong and clear. Two minutes to airtime. It was all in camera and we did hundreds of shots like that. We had, I think, five miles of fiber optics underneath the set. And it was a beautiful thing. And we left it up for what must have been two months, three months while they shot the series. And every week we'd have a shot list and we'd build it out and we'd shoot in camera, deliver the dailies and they'd go on the air each week, which from an amortizable standpoint became very, very effective. It was a, the secret to in camera is the amort. Nicholson continued to be a proponent of getting as much in-camera as possible, not only because it was cost-effective, but because the results were more creatively satisfying. It's not worth setting up a very expensive setup with LEDs or whatever you're going to do for one, two, five, ten shots, but it's certainly worth it for 100, 200, 300, 1,000 shots. Series television is perfect for that. On Gingerbread Man, uh, I'll never forget that Robert Altman was directing and we were down in Alabama and Robert Downey Jr. was in it and they had all the cars and everything in, on location. And I, I said, well, Robert, you know, why don't you just do the driving here? I mean, I, as much as I want to do it as rear projection, why not do it here on location? You have all the stuff. And he said, why would I? I hate directing through a walkie talkie. I can't get to the actors and it's supposed to be raining and all this kind of stuff. So it's going to be much easier on stage. So, okay. You know, so we shot all the plates and we went on a soundstage in Hollywood and put the car in a black duvetine rain catcher, you know, put a screen behind it, put good interactive lighting over the top of it and rain. And Robert pulled up a chair right outside the window of the car. So Robert Downey could roll the window down and get instructions and then roll it back up again. And it was really cool. It was From a directing standpoint, he got the performance he wanted, and the footage looked beautiful. Interactive light off the rain and stuff like that, all in camera. That really rang a bell to me because it was like, wow, this is what Alfred Hitchcock was all about. He had lesser tools and all those things, but the concept of predetermining wardrobe and blocking and all those things and shooting with second unit on location, great plates, and then coming back and doing in-camera work in Hollywood where you could cut the time and the travel time. Nicholson's experiences with in-camera visual effects would serve him later in his career as LED wall technology and real-time game engines became more prominent for virtual production. It would also help to address safety concerns during challenging world events. If you have a million dollar a day actor, do you really want to have him on a plane for two days and have him in an unpredictable situation and everything else? Or do you want to get him on a set where you can shoot eight pages a day? Location work is historically half as productive as on set work from a page count. So the logic of it says, wow, if you can get the look on stage, man, do it on stage. And that's 
what we started doing extensively after 9-11 when nobody would fly. We had all these shows like Grey's Anatomy in Seattle, ER in Chicago, CSI in Vegas, Ugly Betty in New York. And all at once, all the producers came and said, can you bring the location to Hollywood because we're not going to get on a plane. And so we went to Chicago and 30,000 feet of film later, which is a pretty decent price tag in 35 millimeter, we had virtualized certain parts of Chicago that previously they had shot all night out on the Riverwalk. Suddenly we find ourselves on green screen at Warner Brothers during the day on a stage, which everybody loved, faking that it's winter and cold, but the footage looked beautiful perfect circles of confusion and really deep, saturated color. And the footage actually looked arguably better than what they had been getting on location. And it was a lot easier to shoot. The studio loved it. And so that became the virtual backlot for us for many years. And we developed the virtual backlot library where every time a show would wrap like Las Vegas, all the plates that we'd shot would fall back to a Stargate library. Nicholson saw the evolution from rear projection to virtual sets composited on green screens to real-time green screen cinematography. We went into real-time green screen on shows like Pan Am and Beauty and the Beast, where we said, let's see what we can do live, real-time compositing. Which has its own tricks. We did early tests for what we called SWTV, which is the predecessor to Mandalorian, real-time all green screen. Look, nobody likes to work on green. Everybody's off at craft service and messing around because they all know that you're going to fix it in post. But the financial problem is if you're going to do real-time compositing and you're not going to get finished pixels on set, then you're going to spend a lot of money and time seeing an elaborate previs, and then you're going to have to spend just as much money and time as you would have anyway to redo it all in post although it was very exciting to see an elegant previs on Pan Am. And it was very mind-blowing because you could design shots on set and do a bunch of beautiful stuff. And they came out great. However, financially not great from an efficiency standpoint. Nicholson could see that the elusive goal was to get to a process that combined all of the best parts of the different effects techniques into something else entirely. That something else ultimately arrived with real-time game engines and LED wall cinematography. Look at LED technologies, Unreal Engine, and all the fantastic DMX lighting. Suddenly, your lights can change color and intensity and be controlled by a computer, and they can synchronize with the screens and real-time rendering, and that converges with NVIDIA with all of the GPU-accelerated cards. And you have all these wonderful post-production tools that Blackmagic is coming out with, like a DaVinci. You can have a complete color correction suite on set, and you can have 8K distribution of your assets across, in the case of Run, 40 monitors. And tracking technology, the Intel comes out with the T265 sensor, and all of a sudden you've got point cloud inertial tracking in the palm of your hand. All those things converging are really meaningful and open up an entire new chapter in filmmaking, the virtual production era, where you can't tell the difference between what's real and what's not. And you are getting finished pixels on set to a large extent. It's not to say that we're throwing out the green screen or chroma matting or post-produced visual effects. 
you're always going to go in and polish and go to these extreme extents of a thousand zombies coming over the ridge and walking dead, right? But now the question I think is, can you do it live? Open up a script. What can you do live? What can you guarantee are going to be finished pixels on set? And when should you take out that green screen and move the goalposts and say, we're going to go green on this? Nicholson's reputation in virtual production led to many producers turning to him for help during the pandemic. We've been approached by most of the major studios and a lot of people asking, what can virtual production do to solve or get us back on our feet? Okay, there's quite a few things that we can put on the table. Virtual extras are a big deal. Can you reduce the size of the cast and crew? An automatic is, can you prevent us from having to go on location? Because there are so many unpredictable things in terms of taking an entire crew halfway around the world to shoot that we are seriously looking at everything from like virtualizing Yosemite and the national parks, which is a pretty big order, to music videos that we're currently involved in with an artist named Poppy. And Poppy who is very popular YouTube star. And it's going to be an extremely ambitious, creative mandate of a dystopian world with flying cars and giant performance events mixed with kind of utopian fantasy worlds. And I think the, the really exciting thing is that the virtual assets of whole building blocks and being able to create a dystopian city from scratch that looks like Blade Runner and do that in three weeks of prep. It's ambitious, but we're doing it. And we've got some television series, features, game shows, music videos, and even like dance videos for Snapchat and stuff that are pretty cool. All real-time effects. Sam Nicholson has the good fortune of a long and illustrious career, which exposed him to a variety of different visual effects techniques. It puts him in a unique position to offer the best solution for any shot. Everybody's curious about what can you accomplish in real time and what should be planned as a post-enhancement. And as we have a lot of history in both areas, we're not afraid to say, put a green screen up, here because we can it's much easier to polish that in post and we can do that you truly use the best tool for the task rather than as they say you know if all you've got is a hammer everything looks like a nail so we've got many different tools in the tool chest and really that's the best way to balance a high concept project is try to determine early on what is best listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Thanks again to our special guest, Sam Nicholson, ASC, for joining us. This episode was written and hosted by me, Noah Kadner. This episode was edited and mixed by Corey Abel. 
The Virtual Production Podcast is a co-production of The Virtual Company and Able Cine. We love virtual production and would also love to work with you. So please visit our websites and drop us a line if we can help. You can find us at ablecine.com and thevirtual.co. This podcast also wouldn't be possible without Descript, the most fun you'll ever have editing audio as text. Try it now at descript.com. Please also let us know if there's a subject or a guest you want us to have on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review, subscribing, and telling all your friends about us. Thanks again and see you next time.